What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. From Hutchinson, Kansas. Call Jiggy right now. Right. 267-22 Jiggy. <laughs> Presenting Jiggy Jaguar. What a mess. It's a Tuesday. I feel like crap, but we are here and uh, we have got the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio broadcast. We are going to go to our first guest. He is terribly, terribly impatient. So we are going to go to Dr. Pearlstein. He joins us live here on our big, big program. Doctor, give us a little bit on your background, my friend. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. What do you want to know? Well, <laughs> here's, here's, here's how we do this. Uh, nobody is here for me. They're here for you. Um, they would like to know who the hell is Dr. Pearlstein. Tell us who Dr. Pearlstein is. Give us an intro. Tell us a little about yourself. Okay. Well, I practiced surgery for many years. How did I get there? I'm the son of a Holocaust survivor who experienced more pain and living hell than anybody should be allowed to, to experience. And I think that was very formative for me, I think, starting in the womb. And I was chasing answers. Looking with a retroscope, I was chasing answers was a high achiever both academically and musically and sports with tennis went to Princeton did NYU School of Medicine uh, did orthopedics in Brooklyn New York uh, NYU with an Air Force scholarship and uh, served as a major in the Air Force traveled the world I was a Clark Air Base in the Philippines for three years Andrews Air Force Base uh, Bethesda, the uh, military medical school there, Ushu's Uniform Service University of Health Sciences, uh, practice then civilian, join a Holocaust survivor in civilian practice in California, ultimately uh, needed to express myself beyond what healthcare per se in medicine has, and developed a lot of concepts seeking truth starting as a problem solver as i did when i was a kid in high school what i did in in later in college etc and looking at problems finding original solutions rather than depending on solutions that already existed or thinking that already existed i have uh, inventions and books and concepts that um i believe many are brand new to wellness and healthcare. And I'm, I'm now all about wellness and bringing solutions to people from my own experiences and uh, from wisdom that's been around for a long time. Fantastic. We have got a great guest with us today. 
Uh, Dr. Pearlstein joins us here on our big broadcast. So you are the author of You Are Not What You Eat, a doctor's guide to transform your pain to pearls of wisdom and joy. Tell us a little bit about this book. Okay. Well, how are we not what you eat? <laughs> Everybody, and I think the common thinking is you are what you eat. So what we're thinking is those molecules of what you eat enter our body and become us. Problem is, at the age of 35, what I found is even though I'd worked very hard in the mind and body realm, I came to see that the mind and body is not me, that the mind and body is the spacesuit, so to speak, the garments that the actual authentic identity of us wears. So who are we? I found that we are a soul entity or a divine soul entity, a minuscule non-physical piece of godliness housed in this body, and the brain is body. And the function, just like kidney or skin or bones, is a physical function. So the soul is a totally different entity housed in the body and has the use of all these integrated living machines. Amazing that we have, but it's temporary. And the question is how we're using the machines and how we see our identity. You know, who are we? So you're programmed by your parents, you're programmed by the culture, by the TV, by the neighbors, by the school, by your expectations, and you're living this. And sometimes something inside says, this isn't right. <laughs> and we go to cigarettes and alcohol and drugs, and we go to all kinds of activities and sometimes do things in excess but some of us say, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm at peace with what is, and I'm happy regardless of what happens around me because I program my happiness, not what happens to me or what's around me, yep. and joy. And some people are conflicted and in pain. In fact, the medical literature says we have the highest stress, anxiety, depression, opioid use, uh, deaths, addiction, and suicides of all time, not only in America, but worldwide. And if you look at something simple, so if you're talking about eating and the, the whole $100 billion diet world, question is, what's really going on? And where, what is this hunger that people are feeling? And I found in my own life that it's a soul hunger, not a physical hunger. Okay. And the soul needs to feed, it grows, it gives off waste. And so we have obesity epidemics in adults and kids worldwide. Well, that's a pandemic. It's a little piece of a much larger pandemic, which is called sedentary disease or sitting disease, which includes obesity. But I believe this obesity epidemic is because the $100 billion business is all wrong. They talk about diet and they talk about exercise, physical diet and physical exercise. I'm all yep. for that. I'm all for wellness, wherever it's coming from, anything that works that's true in some way, fine. But I think the big thing that's being missed is soul hunger. Now, we live in a physical world, not a spiritual world. And the soul only can express itself in the physical with thought, speech and action. Thought is internal. Speech between two people, very useful when you're teaching somebody or helping other people. Actions. And so what happens is 
the soul hunger is going to be felt in the physical. And the person, if they don't, we don't have a soul. You are a soul that has a body. So the question is, when you feel the sense of hunger, what do you know to do? People eat when they feel a hunger. They don't think distance and it's not going to satisfy soul hunger so you never stop but you can satisfy this hunger deceptively temporarily with sex with ex with running crazy with working out with drugs with many different things alcohol and yep. and the question is what's the solution and so that book that you mentioned you are not what you eat is about helping anybody that wants because it's a job learn how to identify as a soul that has then the body and all the machines of the body and how to then understand how they work in such a way that it's you see once the soul is in the body every machine of the body is plugged in the electricity is plugged and so each machine can run itself your eyes will just see without you controlling unless you put controls on the thing the brain will run itself. Many people have yes. anxiety, stresses, depression, and, and, and diagnosed with mental diseases when what they're, do, they're not doing is controlling their brain and using it like a computer, which, of course, needs to be reset. It's going to have viruses. It's going to do all kinds of things. But when you use it properly, you can use it beautifully. Same thing with the brain. Anyway, I'll stop there. No, you're good. You're good. We have got... Uh... Dr. Zevi Perlstein with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. So you have also, uh, you you have uh, done some inventing as well. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Sit Fit Chair, which is a total body gym packaged as a smart chair. This is incredible. Tell me a little bit about this, doctor. Well, this this is really a fantastic venture for me it's not completed but i spent eight nine years developing a concept many years back uh, it struck me that sedentary disease sitting disease which i mentioned is the biggest or one of the biggest human problems pandemic uh sitting which we all do seven to twelve minimal hours per day and you're sleeping at night uh, is responsible for a host of other pandemics, obesity, low back pain, heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, many cancers, depression, um, dementia, et cetera, all connected to the amount of sitting we do. And so I didn't see a solution in sight. And it struck me that if we had a chair which uh, would allow motion activity that's the key thing not sitting or standing but motion activity and in fact could be your gym to replace a physical gym uh that that would be a tremendous solution for sedentary disease and what we what i developed with six different engineering firms and of course with a patent attorney and the prototypes are made in medicine columbia the travel is a chair the, the idea is it's not a fitness device it's a chair with multiple chair positions from uh, reclining sitting up and everything in between but it's also a total body gym 
and is packaging 14 uh, gym machines in your chair. It's portable. It's all weather. Problem is, I need to raise the money to manufacture. So how do we do that exactly? How, how, do, how do we help you out to, to, to bring this thing to life? Don't know. Working on it. <laughs> but I have okay. another more recent invention. Okay, let's talk about that. Well, what do you have for us? So I've been an athlete all my life. I was a competitive singles tennis player and uh, did a lot of leg uh, pressing, more weight than I should have been, did a lot of running to medical school, residency, etc. So in the past two years, developing bilateral knee pain and bone on bone now, uh, I sought to open my joint space non-operatively by ordering a type of shoe that would do that, or sneaker. So I'm a, I'm, um, a supinator. I strike. So when we strike the ground with our feet, very few of us strike level. Shoes are made level. Thank God they have rubber soles to cushion absorb the shock rather than our joints. But the shoes are made level. But we strike the ground not level. We're typically either supinators or pronators. I find most people are supinators striking with the lateral or outside <laughs> part of the foot. And another large portion of pronators striking with the medial or big toe side That's of the foot. Awesome. Well, what happens, what happens is when you strike the ground, if you're a supinator, you're compressing your knee, the medial compartment, the inner compartment. Yep, if you're yep. striking with the as a pronator, you're compressing the lateral or outside compartment. So I went to order, since I'm a supinator, a pronation pair of sneakers or shoes, and I found that they don't exist to order, and I looked under patents. So I trademarked and patented this concept, and uh, what we're doing now is transforming souls. Uh, S-O-L-E-S, soul healing, H-E-E-L. So soul healing. So we've got in the one book, S-O-U-L transformation or soul healing, and with this invention, you're talking about the S-O-L-E soul. So kind of soul to soul here. <laughs> you, are called, you are phenomenal. You are phenomenal. They're called sneakers. Yes. Sneakers knee. S-K-N-E-E. Sneakers. Sneakers. Well, I something, doctor, that, that I would love to have you kind of, uh, speaking of the way that this is all put together and, and everything here, um, I have noticed in the past, uh, talking to various people, and even myself, um, I know that I'm due for a new pair of shoes when my knees start giving me problems or my hips start giving me problems. Uh, why is that? Why is it that it's knees and hips and not feet? Well... It depends on who you are. Every individual has their own package of stuff, pain and everything else going with it. So uh, a lot of things to consider from uh, uh, lifestyle, weight, genetics, injuries. Um, some people do have you know, look at the women with their shoes, which are like the old Chinese, which uh, you, you want a smaller foot than almost the shoes doing surgery. You see a lot of the women have a lot of foot pain and have procedures done because their foot is made to accommodate this pointed shoe with the high heels rather than the shoe for the foot. However, 
what I found is, and it wasn't something from my training. I mean, I had to think outside the box. So the reason I got outside the box, and I'm answering your question, but around running around the bush a little bit, the reason I, um, I got into this is um, th there's no solution out there. And what I found is that if I followed the thinking from practice, you give somebody medicine for arthritis of the knee, you give yep. them abrases, you get them therapy, yep. make yep. sure their rubber sole shoes lose weight, and that's it. Next is surgery. Well, for me, I happen to know as a surgeon that hip and knee replacements are typically good for 10 to 15 years. And then you, you'll often need a revision. Revisions come with exponentially increased rate of complication. So I wanted to prevent that. My dad lived to 93. I'm 68. If I live to 93 or more, I'll need revisions if I have now. So I came to this. And what I found is when you look at Dr. Scholl's and all the sneaker companies and the doctors, they see the foot as an isolated entity and what goes on in the knee, hip and back as isolated entities rather than seeing the connection. So, as I said, not only when you strike the ground with your foot and you do this from the time you start walking till the end, what happens over decades is later. If you're compressing the medial compartment of the knee, guess what? There's a some statistical likelihood you're going to have pain there, develop narrowing of the joint, arthritis and surgery. Look at our millions of knee replacements getting done. Now, I was explaining this to another physician and showing him my x-rays, where my x-rays barefoot showed bone on bone of the medial compartments. Putting on my prototype shoes, the joint opens up nicely. Nobody's ever done that, to my knowledge, or the surgeon that I'm seeing or other people that I've spoken with. But he also suggested to me, this other physician, that, hey, you're looking at the knees. You need to get x-rays of the hips and the back as well, even go up to the neck with the shoes, because we don't know what's happening there. If you can shift the hip, if the arthritis is on one part of the ball of the femoral head, and you can rotate it mildly so that you're involving a non-affected part with the shoes. Hey, that would be tremendous. So there are a lot of a lot of this brings in a lot of scientific questions. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, no, but, no, 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 no. You're 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 doing amazing stuff here, my friend. We have got Dr. Okay. Pearlstein with us today. He joins us live here on our big big program. So, Doctor, uh, what's next for you as an author and an inventor and all these things? Well, I happen to be speaking to you from the offices of Eric Stoller, who works with Les Brown, one of the most well-known speakers around. And we're actually cultivating answers to what you're talking about, because um, I was recently uh, auditioning on America's Got Talent with my dog who I have a miniature Chewini, <laughs> Chihuahua, Dachshund mix, and he sings. I have That's freaking awesome. If I play the trumpet or I take him to the clubs with me, which I frequent many nights uh, playing music with a lot of different musicians and bands, he's singing and they know him. I'm also teamed up. Yeah, we're moving forward on America's nice. Got Talent. But also I'm teamed up with Tony Wilson, who toured with Michael Jackson. I'm a trumpet player, by the way. That's that's what we're talking about here. 
So I played trumpet since I'm seven. I'm teamed up with Tony Wilson, toured with Michael Jackson and James Brown. James Brown called him Young James Brown. Uh, James Brown's 90th birthday is 2023. Tony's been already many places in the country, and he has four pairs of my sh- of shoes, dancing shoes, and my soles. He loves them. He wants every working man in the shoes. I'm also connected with Yaakov Heller, who's a roughly 80 and an international sculpture artist. Um, and uh, we're looking to do a whole total wellness program, speaking, teaching, the education, the healthcare aspect, medical, but also bringing in the music presentation and the art presentation. Of course, we have today music therapy and art therapy. And even my dog, who's named Z, I'm Tzvi and he's Z. And uh, the word doctor, by the way, is from the Latin docera. It doesn't mean surgerizer, pillarizer, chiropractorizer. It means teacher. It means to help somebody find their wholeness, to not put a stumbling block before the blind, not to shrink somebody into a body part or a disease body part, but to help them be whole. And that's what we're looking at here is to provide something that includes medicine, but it's beyond medicine to a wellness that hopefully you don't need the medicines. We are wellness wisdom warriors. Wellness, we talked about wisdom is truth. And warriors means we're going to get beaten down. We're going to all experience the hazards of soul and body, of living in the prison of the body. And how do we find the fullness in that? How do we get out-of-body experiences and make the time flow to experience flow? So that's what we're looking to do. A warrior means you're going to get beaten down. You'll get the virus or the flu. You'll get sick. You'll have a gallbladder attack, appendicitis, heart attack, whatever it is. Guess what? You can get up and fight and go. And that's the beauty of it all. And be thankful for everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because somehow it's all for the good. Fantastic. Well, you are amazing. Uh, thanks for joining us today. This has been fun, and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you, Dr. Pearlstein. Appreciate it, my friend. Appreciate the time. Beautiful. Have a blessed day. Thank you, my friend. There he goes. Fantastic. Dr. Pearlstein with us today <laughs> here on our big program. So let's do this. Let's take a uh, brief time out here. When we come back, we have got more coming up. On the other side, it is the big drop. Welcome back to our big broadcast. We are live. Coast to coast, border to border on iHeartRadio today. Also, AMFM247.com. Tune in iTunes. And, of course, you can find us on over 200 radio stations across the country and around the world. And we have got a great, great guest we are going to get to here in just a few moments. He is fantastic. And uh, there is not enough great synonyms, I guess I could say, in the English language for our next guest. Um, He is amazing. Mark Milovats is going to be with us here in just a few seconds. He is just fantastic. This man has the voice of an angel, and um, he joins us here on the telephone. And um, 
Mark is amazing. He's the, He's got the most wonderful time of the year. It's topping the AC charts across the country. And uh, he joins us here on the telephone. Mark, welcome to the broadcast. How are you, sir? Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, James. I'm doing very well. How are you? Pretty good, actually. So tell me a little bit about how you got started doing this music thing, man. Wow. Well, that would be when I was eight. My uh, grandfather, who was bedridden, I would go after church and visit him every Sunday and have to learn a new song. He would give me uh, 50 cents to learn a new song every week. So I thought, this is a pretty good gig. Uh, I like it, and I'm getting paid. So that's really how it started. And um, from there, it kind of took off. So where, 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 where did it go from there? <laughs> Gee, I knew you'd ask. <laughs> well, from there, <laughs> from there, I started doing a lot of theater and musicals and some, believe it or not, Eastern European folk singing and dancing. Uh, I learned how to play the guitar and some of those stringed instruments, the balalaika, believe it or not, and um, just started performing more and more. And then as time went on, met some different people along the way, one of my great mentors uh, when I was much younger was a gentleman, a sax player by the name of Boots Randolph, who did the uh, Yakety Sax to Benny Hill theme years ago. That's fantastic. (laughs) And uh, Boots had played for Elvis on all of Elvis's movies. And um, so kind of took me under his wing. And uh, Boots played on Return to Sender, you know, and on uh, the Prindley, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, that's Boots' sax. So uh, along the way, I mean, I I met a lot of great mentors. had the opportunity to start opening for some great acts like uh, Manilow and uh, a gentleman by the name of Engelbert Humperdinck. And when I was really young, the little uh, Perry Como. Wow, you just you have just talked to all the all the big names and been around all the big <laughs> names. Well, I don't know about that. I didn't mean to name drop in any way, but you asked, so <laughs> that kind of, that's kind of how it went. And. Uh, you know, there was always singing around my house. I mean, my mother was always singing when she was cooking, and my uh, my dad as well was a singer. Uh, while not professional, he was quite good. And uh, you know, so it was, it was part of part of the culture, I think, that I grew up in. And you know, I just had a a liking, of, believe it or not, of the horn sections. You know, one of my one of my favorite uh, bands in the world is the Beach Boys, and uh, so. My sisters, who were uh, much older than I growing up, would listen to them, and I would listen to their harmonies. And that kind of helped me learn how to sing, believe it or not. And um, most recently, uh, one of them, uh, who is a friend now, and actually uh, Bruce Johnston, who filled in for Brian back starting in 1965, has become a good friend, and we talk from time to time about all kinds of things, writing and everything. I've been very, very fortunate, so... Again, it's not to name drop, but just you know, it's just part of the part of the blessings that I have in culture that I've been around. So, fantastic! We have got a great guest with us today, Mark Milovats, with us. He joins us live. He recently had a uh, fantastic event out there in Pittsburgh, PA, Christmas Wonderland. Uh, tell me about these shows that you do because you you've got some incredible stuff. Well, that's very kind, James. Um. That's a very interesting thing. When I was also eight, I had third-degree burns. And so this relates to the show, how it became, how it started. 
uh, they put me, grafted me back together, and um, fortunately. And I was, as I had grown up, one of the things I do is go through ICU units uh, in children's hospitals and things and deliver stuffed animals and things. And we had left one, and I couldn't, you know, you can't leave one without uh, shedding a tear or ten. And I, I said to someone, I said, look, there's got to be something we can do to let these parents and kids know that they're not forgotten at Christmas. And so this show was born. I asked um, the late Arnie Palmer and his wife helped me start it and um, lent their name to it. Uh, we're in our 25th year, actually. I was 10 when I started. I'm kidding. But And so it has grown to be a giant variety show of sorts. You know, got kind of like the... Uh, Sonny and Cher, the Osmonds, or Andy Williams, variety shows of late of the 70s. So it is, you know, I have my 16-piece orchestra, and I have a, my Santa Bell dancers, which are my answer to the Rockettes, and um, some phenomenal backup singers this year. Uh, uh, took one from Rod Stewart and uh, a bunch of others. So uh, it's, it's just a big celebration. Some people call it a little bit of a dip back into nostalgia, uh, from yesteryear, and some call it a little bit of today. I call it the Andy Williams Show on Speed, but it's just a little bit of fun for everyone. It's all about, you know, and, and I don't mean to be cliche, but forgetting about life for a while and having fun for two hours. So it's it's yeah. grown quite a bit into a television special now. It's become a uh, in over 200 markets around the country, and just this year uh, got added to uh, American Forces Television, which is used to be Armed Forces Television, and it's uh, now going to be seen in 70 countries and on every ship and every military base of the United States around the world. So very honored to have that happen and have that request from them. That's, that is that is tremendous. We have got Mark Milovats with us today. Christmas in Wonderland is a tremendous event that he does, and uh, he joins us today here on our big broadcast. So, what what is some of the feedback you get from folks on these different shows that that you've put together? You know, it's really funny. Uh, some of the feedback is really interesting. It starts all the way from um, kids whose parents say, you know, there. I got an email recently that said my child was mesmerized for the two hour show, and I thought, well, they couldn't have been watching me. What were they watching? <laughs> and that's awesome. <laughs> did you hypnotize them? So feedback like that, uh, all the way up to any age, an older age that says, my gosh, this brings back so many memories, to we had a row of five 16-year-olds, five, five rows of 16-year-olds, who came to hear uh, one of our original songs on my album, Just In Time For Christmas, which was written by a couple writers, David Zippel and David Friedman. That was their favorite song, and they just came to hear that. And it was like screaming teenagers. And I thought, wow. My keyboard player leaned over to me and said, wow, this isn't supposed to happen. I said, no, but kind of cool. So that's some of the feedback. Again, I'm so happy that anyone comes to see me, you know, including my mother, which I finally found after five years of looking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she was, um, I think, you know, I grew up with parents who weren't the parents that said how great you were. They were the parents that said, you know, you're kind of average. You need to work on it. And uh, recently, for the first time in my life, my mom said after a show, that was a pretty good show, son. And I thought, oh my gosh, I said, Mom, are you going to die? Because I was concerned that one of the first compliments. So, um, 
that's kind of that's kind of it. You know, as how as far as it it's been going, we get all, we get a range of feedback, and all of it very good. It's very nice to hear. And in fact, my favorite one so far was uh, cookies. We had a bunch of lady locks and thumbprints made for uh, myself and the band in one of the cities. That was my favorite one so far. That's my favorite feedback because I love food. Fantastic. We have got a great guest with us today. Mark Milovats is with us. He is amazing, and he joins us live here on our big program. So what are some of your plans that you have coming up this year in, in into the new year? Well, they revolve, like I said, James, around food. No, I'm just uh, <laughs> um, coming up. We have uh, we're actually working on a, a television uh, show next year that we're shooting. Uh, kind of, it's actually kind of an interview format, but a little bit different. Let's uh, start shooting in February. Uh, we are editing pieces of this year's show for next year's Christmas special. So that's coming up in the next few weeks. And then I believe, um, from what I understand from my manager, uh, we're going to spend a little time in Las Vegas. Uh, doing our Viva Las Vegas show into then the Christmas show out there. So there's a few things. Plus, uh, I'm told we're doing some new music for the new year. So Fantastic. I, I, I get told these things, James, by the way. I don't even get to pick them. Sometimes they just say, <laughs> hey, by the way. <laughs> so some of the new plans. So how about you? Well, we're just, we're, we're making it work, my friend. But uh, as I always tell everybody, the show is not about me. They can give two craps about what I'm doing. They, they want to hear from the guests. Mark Milovats with us today. He joins us live. So how do we um, get in touch with you on social media and the websites and all these things? Well, you can go to our website, which is at markmilovats.com, M-A-R-K, eight more letters, M-I-L-O-V-A-T-S. Dot com or uh, Facebook. I know we have a couple Facebook pages. We're on Instagram, and I think every other gram that's out there. Uh, so, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure, but I always, if I can, if somebody sends me a note of any kind, I always answer it back personally. If I can, I try to take some time, as long as they don't mind a response in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. their time. Um, I I sleep a lot less these days, so. That's how you can get a hold of me or us, and uh, if you have any suggestions, and we 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 sure appreciate you uh, talking about the most wonderful time of the year, our single this year. Yes, uh, which of course has been recorded by a lot of people, but we're very very grateful that it's doing so well on the charts. Well, you have got some amazing stuff. Uh, if people want to listen to your music, where do they find that at? They can go to iTunes. They can go to Amazon. And uh, Spotify, and I think a bunch of other things, too. Gosh, I think CD Baby. Um, and I think on our website, there are also clips as well at markmillivats.com. So I think there's a host of places to go. But I know for sure Amazon, iTunes, and the rest has it. So um, we always like their feedback, too. You know, If there's something they'd like to hear, I sure would like to record it for people. Because there's always... <laughs> There's always songs I'm not sure of either that I've never heard of. There's some beautiful songs. Some people send me some great renditions of things. Like, oh my, how pretty is that? So, well, you are amazing, my friend. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, thanks for being out there and making things work. Thanks for being on the program. We will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, James. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and 
all your listeners. Definitely. Well, we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Mark. There he goes. Mark Milovats joins us here on our big broadcast, so we will take a brief time out. When we come back, we have got more coming up. It is your big broadcast. Welcome back to it. It is the big broadcast. We are coast to coast. We are border to border on over 200 radio stations across the country. I just want to be able to say that. Okay, so let's do this. Let's go to our next guest. He is going to join us live as live can get on the telephone. A great guest joins us here in just a few moments. Hello. Hello. Uh, it is uh, James Lowe calling you for your radio interview. How are you? Okay. So, uh, so Kevin, you have got an incredible new project out there. Tell me a little bit about this project. Hello. Hello. Okay. Uh, are we going to do this by phone? Uh, I've got you here on the phone. But okay. I can also do Skype so, uh, as well. So Kevin, but I've got yeah, I have Skype. I've got right a back. lot of feedback going on. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna hang up with you, and I'm gonna try to get you on Skype, and we're gonna see if we can uh, clear up these okay. issues. Uh, so I'll be right back with you. Um, I don't know what the hell that was. Uh, he's he's got. 60 things going on in the background there. Uh, usually I'm the one that's got 65 things going on in the background. So let's do this. Let's see if we can bring him up via the telephone, via the traditional telephone, as they say. And uh, let's find him on the old skip Skype. He's on the skip Skype, which is good. The old Skype Rooney. That's right. The Skype Rooney. And we'll see what happens. We will get in here. We will see. With us. There we are. I think I've got you, Kevin. Can 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 you hear us? Yes, I hear you and I see you. <laughs> well, that's good. We can we can hear you and see you too, which is fantastic. I'm glad. Uh, we have got a great, great guest with us today. Kevin M. Halinan is with us. He is amazing. He is uh, co-authored an incredible book called Over the Wall from the Dangerous Streets of NYC Through the Birth of Counterterrorism and Beyond. And the lieutenant joins us live here on our big broadcast via the magic of the old Skip Skype. Yes, he joins us on the Skype for Rooney today. So, uh, Kevin, tell us about Over the Wall. This is an incredible, incredible book, my friend. Well, I tell you what, it's a it, it's a book which really is, is to a certain degree a ride along. It takes you through uh, a rather busy, uh, interesting career in which I made many stops along the way, but uh, I must say that I had a lot of help from a lot of good men and women that got me the chance to grow. And uh, from uh, a police officer for seven years on the streets of New York as a beat cop to a a patrol car guy to eventually a detective sent into uh, East Harlem, which was uh, quite a uh, education. I ended up with a homicide case involving organized crime and uh, was under a lot of pressure from a lot of different people. Indeed, 
one night, uh, two of uh, the uh, associates of organized crime came in, and uh, one of them, uh, who I recognize as a drug dealer, telling me, kid, you can make telephone numbers with this case. Just make it go away. Well, I tell you what, I made them go away. And <laughs> it took phenomenal. two years, and I ended up uh, arresting these two. Uh, interestingly enough, one of the people that I arrested ended up, he just died a, about four or five months ago, he ended up as the head of the Gambino crime family. So uh, I guess I didn't interrupt his career with the, with the arrest, but uh, <laughs> he went to jail, that was for sure. But uh, it was a difficult time. The internal affairs and the NAP commission at that time were looking at me as if I had done something wrong when in fact I had worked so hard uh, to uh, make this happen. And of course, organized crime is not known for cooperation. So it took two years, but we got it done. Well, this is an incredible, incredible piece of business. What's been some feedback from folks that have picked this book up? Well, I tell you, it's it's amazing to me because I was strictly uh, doing a lot of radios and now I'm starting to get some podcast uh, interest. And uh, People are kind of amazed by the story because it's it's not only about my career, but probably to a certain degree what my very strong wife was going through and four kids putting up with a police officer who spent more time in court than most attorneys. Uh, <laughs> that is phenomenal. But the that best is phenomenal. was it, it really was about service. I cared about the job. I cared about the people that I had to deal with every day. And I, I wanted them all to know that I, you know, I had empathy for what was happening to them, whether it was a burglary that I was there interviewing them, knowing obviously the chances of the property coming back uh, was probably not going to happen. But yet I wanted them to know I took all the information and, and hopefully uh, was able to, in some cases, retrieve what they had lost. So it really was a matter of demonstrating to the public that you just weren't going through the motions, that you can't. That's awesome. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here via Skype. Kevin M. Hallinan is with us, author of Over the Wall. So tell me about your, your writing process, you and your co-author bringing this thing to life. Well, <clears throat> the best part of the book, quite honestly, for me was going back to so many of the people that made the difference for me and giving me the opportunities to interview them and, and to uh, actually retrace with them what some of the uh, situations where I got involved in. I ended up getting sent to a homicide squad where on the first day on the job, uh, I really didn't see my second day. Uh, I ended up in a, in a hallway situation with a major drug dealer who had unfortunately killed nine people and was a black belt in karate. I, I wow. didn't realize this at the time, but you know, when you get a guy with 60 inch shoulders and a 33 inch waist uh, is knocking on a door and I answered, I was by myself. There was a woman there with a little child and, and a trunk full of, of drugs that my pals had gone for a, a search warrant. And this guy just came out of nowhere and, uh, was looking at me like, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't a threat, but I kept glancing to my right as if I was watching this woman, so she wasn't going to go near the trunk. And he couldn't see that wall 
where she was. So I think he suggested, he suspected I had other people in there. Well, anyway, I pushed him back and ended up, I look, his coat flew open. I see he had a gun in his, uh, in his uh, belt there, waist belt, and a same gun that I had. So I figured, you know, there's nothing worse than he goes for his and I go for mine and we're both <laughs> dead in the hallway. So I end up cha-charing up to the end of the hallway, hoping that my pals are going to come through that door at any minute. And as we get to the end of the door, he's staring at me, I'm staring at him. And I reach for the doorknob, hoping this door is going to open and the doorknob comes off in my hand. And I didn't, I acted as if just what I expected and just let it drop and then shot, shot back. And he's going along with the whole thing. I, God knows why he didn't kick me in the throat or do whatever he could do. Well, two minutes later, my boys come busting through the door with shotguns and we had him on his knees in a matter of minutes. But hey, listen, I got through that. So after that, it was just getting involved with them and fighting a major drug war, which, by the way, the New York Times put together a story six days, front page, called the 138th Street War. That's featured in the book, uh, again, without retelling the whole story. It, uh, it was the Bronx, and uh, somebody said, well, who cares? It's the Bronx. Well, that's really not the way it should be. But <laughs> that's where the crime was, and that's where we had to be. Well, it is an amazing, amazing piece of business. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live over the wall the from the dangerous streets of NYC through the birth of counterterrorism and beyond. Kevin M. Halinan is with us. He is an innovative leader in professional sports security and operations. And he joins us today here on our big, big broadcast. And him and his co-author uh, have put together just an incredible, incredible book here. What do you want readers to take away from your writing of this great book? Well, yeah, as you might suspect, and obviously I hear a lot of during these interviews about the situation in the United States today with defunding the police and, and the really negative connotations. And I, I kind of look back and I think people, when reading the book, will take a look at the 70s and 80s and what was going on, particularly in New York City. City was going broke, drugs all over the place, eight to 10 bank robberies a day, bombs being put down by six or seven different groups. It was really, really chaotic. And I believe, quite honestly, that as, as bad as it does seem at this point in time, that to stay positive and to be part of a group, uh, and it's not just the police, obviously, it's the politicians, it's the DAs, it's all of us in this together to turn things around. Amazing stuff. It is a great guest with us today. Kevin N. Halinan is with us. He joins us live here on our big, big program. So what are some of the things that you learned uh, from writing this book and putting this book together? Well, you know what? It, explain about being shipped in New Orleans for three months working with NOPD. And that's, that's a whole uh, separate story. But it was part of a Department of Justice, uh, 30, uh, 12 different high crime cities looking to take ideas and programs uh, from each city and bring them back to New York. And, and that was obviously uh, a great education for me. And the New Orleans police couldn't have been more cooperative. I ended up 
uh, when I came back to the FBI National Academy, I spent 12 weeks working uh, with the FBI and eventually ended up as the first commander of the joint FBI-NYPD Terrorist Task Force, uh, which wow. was the first time that FBI and NYPD came together. And it, it, it took some time to settle in, but it had great success. And by 1985, we had arrested over 100 domestic terrorists. And from that year, 1985, unfortunately, till 1993, with the first World Trade bombing, it had been peaceful. No bombings, actually no bank robberies, no jailbreaks. It was a very successful time, again, because two major law enforcement groups started working together. Really? Give us, give us more details on that. Well, it, it actually, the big thing that I believe in Rockland County, about 30 miles north of New York City, where six, seven different groups uh, were working together. And the reason they were working together is to avoid law enforcement infiltration. So they were FALN, the Black Liberation Army, the May 19 Communists, the Weathermen. I mean, it was a whole crew. And they shared resources, and they went up to Rockland County, 11 in number, and there were five females in the group. And they ended up, unfortunately, killing a... Brinks God and two police officers in, in Nyack, New York. And that case of any case that we worked on brought law enforcement together. I immediately had my New York City detectives all sworn in as deputy U.S. Marshals so they could travel throughout the United States in order to track these people. Because when we ended up going into safe houses, of which there had to be eight or ten in Connecticut, in New Jersey, all different places on the East Coast, they had explosives, they had, they had phony identification, they had ammunition, they had automatic weapons, they had plans for police stations, six different diagrams of police stations in New York, they had lists of police officials that had to be killed. They were, again, expecting that they were going to get away with it because they were, quite honestly, highly educated and dedicated. Well, it took a couple of years, but we got them all and, again, brought this, these bombings to a halt. Amazing stuff. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast so what, what are some other uh, little nuggets of wisdom that you can give us from this incredible book? Well, I think what I'm hoping will happen with the book is to a certain degree, there are great difficulties right now with retention and recruitment for police officers throughout the United States. And I'm hoping that this book, that some men and women that might be thinking about the possibility of coming into law enforcement, would get a read and see what my career was like. And again, I was fully engaged the whole 25 years that I was in law enforcement. And I was able, quite honestly, with all the activity, I ended up getting my college degree while I was in the police department. Again, I got to travel from these different assignments. So it was it was not only a full career, it was a rewarding career. And most of all, 
it was about service. It was about making a difference. And I believe people coming into law enforcement, if they have that commitment, that they will be really satisfied with their career decision. Kevin in Hollywood with us today. He joins us live here in our big broadcast. So uh, what are some of your goals for this book? Well, uh, as I said, it's a, it's a possible recruitment tool. But I think, like I say, I think that the law enforcement and that I'm hearing actually from other cities in the United States as, as they read this book, they're looking uh, for some help on, on some issues that they're dealing with today, such as problems with uh, school security, you know, is a major issue. Uh, they're looking for, for help on, on uh, crime and getting the DAs to be more cooperative in making sure that people aren't walking out and, and getting politicians. So I've gotten calls and we're talking about innovation. And one of the things that I started in New York was a, a television series called Police File. I work with WCBS-TV uh, in New York, a producer there. Uh, that I got to speak with, believed in what I was selling, and we ended up going on the 6 p.m. news and 11 p.m. 6 o'clock, we do with three to four minutes, get on open cases on uh, burglaries, robberies, whatever, and we would show what police were doing, then put on a number. We didn't offer rewards. At 11 o'clock, we would re- uh, cast some a minute or two of, of what was on at six and talk about the calls that police received. Well, it took about two, three weeks before it started coming in. We ended up making over 50 arrests during the time of this show. We ended up recovering over a million dollars in property. It was called police file. And as Casey Stengel used to say, you can look it up. <laughs> wow. Well, you've done some incredible stuff, my friend. I, uh, I, I, I really appreciate you uh, making time for us today. Uh, before we let you go, what is next for you as an author? Well, uh, one thing that the, the career in law enforcement made possible for me, I ended up being uh, recruited by Sports Illustrated during my time as the commander of the Joint FBI and NYPD Terrorist Task Force for the 84 Olympics to be their lead security consultant. And the director of the FBI and the NYPD Police Commissioner allowed me to do it. Uh, and I did and was recruited sometime after that for Major League Baseball. And I ended up as a security chief for Major League Baseball for over 20 years, worked for four different baseball commissioners. And again, had a wonderful time and a wonderful career. Uh, got the other leagues involved in some other innovative projects. So what I'm telling people that may be thinking about law enforcement career, it is not a dead end. You can go on to other careers, even from law enforcement. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, so this book, the way this is put together, do you have a particular writing style for this book? Well, I, I guess what it comes down to is telling the truth <laughs> and also getting a chance to talk about some outstanding people that made a difference, that never got the credit that they should have got for the innovative programs and opportunities that they gave me and others during their careers. So that's, I think, uh, being a team player 
and, and recognizing others as a group, the difference that you can make uh, in law enforcement. And that's really uh, what it's all about. Fantastic. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us. I look forward to talking to you soon. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Have yourself a wonderful holiday, sir. Thank you, sir. And a great opportunity. Thank you. Have a good day. There he goes. That is Kevin Hallinan. He joins us today via the magic of the old Skip Skype. Yes, the Skyper Rooney. I will have to say that is one thing about the pandemic that I really am happy that people learned how to use these video platforms. We are going to take a break. I was just noticing that my shirt is not buttoned all the way. I feel like I need a gold chain and I need to some I need to go out and invest in some apartments or something. We have more coming up on the other side. It is a big broadcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.